0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, some quick hits around the NFL. Mitchell Schwartz, the longtime offensive tackle for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, also apparently played for the Browns for like five minutes, I don't remember. Uh, He retired, so congrats to Schwartz for, you know, not having to work and stuff. It is crazy when you think about 33 years old and retired. I mean, when you think about the NFL, it's like, oh, yeah, it makes total sense. 33 years Dude's getting old, man. When I think about football players, for some reason, when I hear 32, 33, I think like 55. You know, you get to like 35, you're 60. But every once in a while, I remember that 33 is 33. It's like, dude, he's 33 years old. How How are you retired for like 50 years? Maybe sixty years. I don't know. Maybe seventy years. Maybe one hundred and three years old. Can you imagine being retired for seventy years? I can barely remember when you worked. Like, oh yeah, that was a little blip of my life where I played professional football, made so much money I didn't need to work ever again. Also, understand why you would need so much money. That is a lot of time to be alive. I mean, think about it. If you made ten million dollars, that's like that's that's way more money than than I'll ever make, right? But let's just say you made ten million in your career. If you live for 60 years, that's $166,000 a year you can live on. And considering inflation, and I don't just mean the horrors of what we're living through today, I just mean generally there is inflation every year in 30, 40, 50, 60 years, 166,000 may as well be 40 grand. So you understand why they're like, yeah, 10 10 million is nice, but I need that big 20, 30, 50, 70 million dollar contract cuz I'm going to be retired for 50 years. It's crazy. Anyways, got further confirmation on what we've been talking about for three days straight now. I don't know why we keep confirming and reconfirming, but Adam Schefter reports Cowboys and franchise player Dalton Schultz are not expected to reach a a long-term deal. ESPN's Adam Schefter reports the Dolphins will not reach a long-term agreement with franchise player Mike Gesicki before Friday's deadline. I also saw this, though, which I thought was uh, interesting. Adam Schefter added that with those two basically locks to be free agents next year, Which granted, they can still sign with their old teams. They're going to reach an agreement with somebody. But it doesn't seem likely that it's going to be Dallas or Miami because they're basically saying we're not willing to pay that much money for you. So uh, very likely to be available free agents. The 2023 free agent tight end market is looking like it'll include Austin Hooper, Evan Ingram, Robert Tunyon, OJ Howard, Hayden Hurst, Dalton Schultz, and Mike Gesicki. It's a pretty stacked group, man. And if, uh, you know, if things don't work out with Tunyon, some pretty serious options there. In other news, apparently Darnell Mooney is bulking up. You always hear about this. This is like the, the biggest news you're going to hear this time of year is who put on muscle. Who's the Oh, Lamar Jackson apparently is super jack now, which in that case, it kind of makes sense. I mean, the, the, the one concern when you pack on weight is you're not going to be as quick anymore. But... Let's be completely honest, the concerns about Lamar have very little to do with how good of a runner he is. It's about his durability and his ability to stand in the pocket and throw the ball really well. So I, I doubt he's going to lose a lot as a runner because he packed on muscle and he does look super jacked. But I I, I don't know. But um, with, with Darnell Mooney, it's it's kind of funny and, and I do wonder... I mean, I'm assuming he packed on muscle because the Bears asked him to because I thought it would be beneficial. And I... I don't know. Anyways, the... <laughs> The point is, he is now super jacked because he is 183 pounds. He's a big boy. <laughs> Apparently, last year, he was playing in the low 170s. I guess I didn't realize how small he was. Now, again, I you know nobody wants their players to be in the low 170s for the sake of, of durability, longevity, just physicality. So I get saying I want you to be 183, but you're also still carrying around extra weight, and and that may come with losing a half a step here and there. I'm just saying I would be concerned with messing with the one thing that works on this entire team. Just leave him alone. Bulk up some of the other guys. Bulk up your offensive linemen. Trim down your offensive linemen. You know, let let Roquan put on a couple pounds. You know, I don't know. Maybe have Cole Komet drop 10 pounds. I I don't know. Mess with somebody else. I would just be nervous about picking out one of the few offensive weapons we actually have and being like, you know what, let's, uh, let's change him. <laughs> no, leave him alone. But that's just me. I don't know. I'm not a coach or a trainer or whatever. What do I know? I'm just nervous about stuff. Finally, ESPN uh, as Jeremy Fowler reports, the Bucks and Vikings have expressed interest in free agent Kyle Rudolph. I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, case in point for why I get nervous about stuff all the time. You know, the the glass half full people love to believe that things will always be better. Change always makes things better. So let's move on from Kyle Rudolph. And then several years later saying, well, this sucks. Maybe it wasn't so bad without Kyle Rudolph. Maybe we should bring that guy back. Also doesn't speak very highly of Irv Smith. Now, to be clear, Jeremy Fowler did not explicitly say that the Vikings are, are pursuing a very um fervently, and usually when I go in depth on on, you know, making fun of people or teams or whatever, um within three minutes of me posting this episode, there I go on Twitter and see refutation after refutation. You know, the the Vikings vehemently deny having any interest in Kyle Rudolph. And it's like, well, all right, well it's a funny segment anyways. But it certainly doesn't um express a lot of confidence. Just, in, again, from, from the standpoint of a Vikings fan seeing that, like, what, what are you doing, guys? You know, you're trying to be excited about stuff. Like, we get Irv back. He was super, you know, solid the last time we saw him. We got this offense revved up, making some moves on defense. Like, it's going to be a good year. And then the Vikings are like, hey, uh, Kyle, what are you doing? Like, why are you calling Kyle? We don't need Kyle. We're, we're stacked, dude. We're loaded. Don't. Why are you calling Kyle? Like, that didn't work when he was here. Now it's several years removed. We, we don't need Kyle Ruto. What are you talking about? I don't know, man. I just feel like maybe we could use a little help. Like, we don't need help. We're a great team. We're awesome. We're going to win the Super Bowl. Shut your mouth. Be like if you heard the Packers are calling around for Mike Daniels, although Packer fans would be super stoked about that. So maybe maybe the Vikings fans have no idea what I'm talking about. But just be like, what? what why though? Well, I just feel like we need help. We don't need help. Why Why would you be? We, we got Jerron Reed. We got Devontae Wyatt. We, we got Kenny Clark. I don't know. What do you mean we need help? We're going to be super good. Stop it. I don't know. Just mm. that is one. One thing I can say about the Packers is they exude confidence about everything. Even when Packer fans are saying we need help. Packers are like, dude, we don't need help. We're friggin' awesome. This is a Super Bowl caliber team, right? We need wide receivers. Dude, have you seen Lazard? That guy's a stud. Like, Yeah, yeah, he's good and all. Um, I hear Odell Beckham's out there. I don't know if you've heard that. Odell Beckham. What are you talking about? You know, Odell Beckham? We got Sammy Watkins. We got Randall Cobb, dude. Amari, he's gonna be so good. We got all these rookies, man. man we got we got one of the best wide receiver groups in football. Like, yeah, that's that's cool, Gutikuns. I appreciate your confidence and all, but maybe, maybe, maybe it's not gonna work out, and we could have like a fail-safe of some kind. Like, nah, dude, we're good. Loaded. Didn't even mention the tight ends and running back. Feel sorry for the competition. They really do, too. Even in press conferences, the the media, you know, they shoot out their questions of, you know, what about this? What are you guys going to do about this? Are you kind of scared about this? Like, "Mm." I mean, they they literally are confused when they get these questions. Like, I don't know what you mean. We don't have wide receivers. We have very good wide receivers. So it's a weird question. And I feel like maybe you're an idiot, but uh, I'll try to answer this question that doesn't make any sense. Again, I've I've used this example a thousand times, but when we hired Matt LaFleur, the number one question on my mind was, why are you hiring a guy that was an offensive coordinator for one year and their offense sucked? And when somebody finally asked that question, something to that effect, like, hey, have you have you seen how bad Tennessee was? Like, does that factor in? And Gutekunst just kind of looked at him like, um, I, I mean, the quarterback – like, had no feeling in his hand, and they lost their number one weapon, so maybe that had something to do with it. But anyways, back to his character. Like, like I feel like we're living on different planets here, Goot. Like, I don't understand. Like, you're probably right, and I'm an idiot, but make me understand what it is you see that I don't see, because you just keep talking about he's a nice guy, and we're all going to get along with him, and I'm glad that it's someone that you want to work with and... He's got a good personality, and you guys can sit in your office and, you know, have pajama parties watching movies and have your families over for dinner and and whatnot. That's all nice, but we kind of want him to be good at at making football. Make the football good. Can you do that, or is that like a qualification for this job, or is it just nice, nice man? I don't get it, man. And then the crazy thing is it works. I want to just sit here and be like, look, you're an idiot. You keep talking about he's he's got a great personality, he's a great kid, We're gonna he's going to fit in great in our locker room. And I want to just say you're an idiot, and I don't care. Give me a powerhouse coach, give me a, a, a successful football player. I don't care about how nice he is and how great of a person they are. Go find me some psychopath on the fringes of society that's really good at hitting people real hard. And it's just, we're just talking two different languages, but the fact of the matter is the Packers just keep winning, and I'm sitting here going, I don't know, man, just find nice people that are... Yeah, I don't know. I don't understand, but whatever. Anyways, finally, and this is not really news, but it's just kind of a thing that I found. A couple of fun little stats for you. Um, Somebody on the Twitters had posted that we've seen more United States presidents since 1996 than the Dallas Cowboys have playoff wins. That was pretty hilarious. But then somebody commented below, and says, we have <laughs> more new U.S. states since 1958 than the Lions have playoff wins. That one right there is something you need to stash. Again, you very rarely see Lions fans ever. I I, I don't know where they are or what they're doing. But um, if you ever see a Lions fan pop up and say anything ever, just, there you go. Just, just, that is the ultimate trump card. Just slap that one down. That's so bad, even the you should have more Super Bowls with two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. They, you can't, they're, they're not going to be able to even to spit that out of their mouth after the shame that is that statistic. And then finally, we'll probably take a an early break because I just want to kind of get through this. But one other thing I saw on uh, Twitter, Aaron Nagler had tweeted this. I don't know who Dominique Foxworthy is, but apparently he's on ESPN's first take. Again, I don't watch any of that stuff, but. I know most of this is meant for, like, shock value and all that nonsense, but it's worth mentioning because he brings up a point that I could see a lot of people genuinely agreeing with, at least to some degree, and so I feel the need to address it. His quote is, Sean McVay is a better coach than Vince Lombardi. These are just the facts. First of all, (laughs) and I'm kind of getting nitpicky here, but you didn't state a fact, you stated an opinion. You haven't gotten to the part where the facts are yet, so you should... Lead with the facts before you say these are the facts. Say a fact first before you... Anyways, they ran one play all game. They just ran... They'd just run a sweep left, sweep right. That's not innovation. A lot of things wrong with that. First of all, and again, I I, I fully understand that this is meant to be nonsense, but he has a major platform and said nonsense, and I'm I'm going to... address it as though it's somewhat serious. That isn't true. Now, kudos to him for saying these are just the facts before he said that, because clearly what he said after are not the facts. It is not a fact in any way whatsoever that the only play that Vince Lombardi ran was a sweep left and a sweep right. I mean, I'm assuming we all understand that, right? Second of all, to say that it's not innovation is false. The play that Lombardi perfected was absolutely innovation in fact it is peak innovation innovation is that thing that you do when you change the game of football in such a way that the rest of the league can't catch up i talk about this all the time i think i talked about it yesterday when when you as a head coach identify a way to beat what is currently being done by defenses that's what lombardi did he innovated and he did something that nobody was able to beat. Now, eventually, you know, teams adapt to that and, and you, you get these consistent evolutions. But Lombardi paved his own path. I can't speak to it, you know, entirely. I'm sure he learned from other people and all that stuff, but he was an innovator. Sean McVeigh, and I, I don't want to be, you know, he's a great coach and I'm sure he's done a lot of innovation in his career, but let's be very, very clear that what he ran was based on what he learned from the Shanahans. The offense he was running is a Shanahan offense. I mean, that, that is just the reality of it. And I'm not saying he can't innovate and, and adapt based on the the style that, that you know, the players that he has and all that type of stuff, but that is also a fact. But there is this, and again, I'm, I'm not good with the the names of the logical fallacies. I know there's like appeal to antiquity type stuff or whatever, but there are these ideas that everything new is good and everything old is bad, right? Uh, Teams today would crush teams back then. Uh, Okay, but it's just this idea that everybody now is smarter, everybody now is better, and it's kind of just absurd. Progress is always good. (laughs) I'm sorry, but progress is very commonly horrible. Let me just give you this illustration here. Who is a better scientist or a more intelligent thinker? Galileo? Or some kid right now in college uh, taking physics classes? Sounds like a stupid question, but I can promise you there are people right now that are getting science degrees that know things that Galileo never knew. There are so many things that Galileo believed to be true or didn't know um, existed or anything like that, that today are basics that you learn week one of the, whatever classes it is you're taking. biology physics, chemistry. Galileo didn't know it. In fact, he probably had some beliefs and theories that, you know, if, if, if somebody were in a class today and were to say that, there would be snickering, sneering, eye-rolling, and you'd be considered a crazy conspiracy theorist idiot. Here's the reality, though. Galileo was brilliant. The vast majority of kids that are in college today are just average human beings with average intelligence that are just learning information that's already sitting there and are going to do their best to go out and get some kind of a job and, and just live their life thusly. The reality is we need these guys who have the ability to see things that don't even exist yet. I mean, they, they, they do exist, but in terms of human knowledge, we don't even know that it's out there. and We don't see it. We can't see it. You have to go out and find it. And it takes a powerful mind to have guys like Einstein to be able to see things to be able to generate thoughts that have never been thought before. The reason that we have what we have today is because of people like this. The same can be said about football. The only reason we are where we are is because of people that came before us. People are bigger, faster, stronger today. Right, because of training. And training has evolved over many years. But the idea that things are always going to naturally evolve isn't true. It takes people like Lombardi to be able to innovate, to be able to see things that didn't exist before, to be able to create from nothing. There's nothing here. You know, it's one thing to be able to read books, to be able to get caught up to where everybody else is, but who's going to take that next step beyond what already exists to build something that's never been built, to think something that's never been thought? That's what innovation is. The fact that it happened a long time ago and and many innovations of that have been done since then, and you're not impressed by that because that was something old, just speaks to your inability to see how impressive it was at the time. I mean, it's such shallow and, and, and ridiculous thinking. Oh, it's just a stupid, sweet. I've mentioned it a million times, but you know, one of the stories that I heard that was so cool was John Madden's when he went to go to a, a clinic that was being put on by Vince Lombardi. He was a young coach. He thought he knew everything. And, and again, his understanding of everything was reading a bunch of books and, and getting caught up to where everybody else already was. But he went to this clinic. It was, it was this big thing, it was probably like an eight-hour seminar being put on by Vince Lombardi. He spent the entire eight hours talking about that one play. Now, you can sit here and say sweep left, sweep right and say, well, I only said, you know, f- well, three words, I guess, sweep left, right. But that doesn't speak to the, to the depth of what the play is. The fact that the man broke it down for eight hours and, and, and John Madden said he walked out of there and realized he didn't know anything about football the complete and total depth of understanding, the depth of one single play. And yeah, people take that and, and, and they run with it. And then people learn that and they try to replicate it and that's fine. But then it takes somebody else with a powerful mind to be able to build on top of that. And again, to be able to build means to be able to create something that's never been before. To be able to see things that nobody's ever seen. That's what I've been trying to illustrate about coaches in general. It's it's one thing to be able to understand a thing, right? It's one thing to, to let's say you you work with Matt LaFleur and you try to understand what he does. Can you understand it? You, you you got the new offensive coordinator out there in Chicago. The question is can you replicate what he did? The second question is can you do you fully understand it? It's one thing to be able to read the book and and recite it back. And you can call the same plays that was called in Green Bay and all that stuff, but that's not really going to help you be a successful coach. To be able to be a successful coach and run this offense means to be able to understand it at a deep level so that you can implement it in different ways you can implement it differently in Chicago. You understand it on, on a conceptual level so that you can say with Justin Fields and Darnell Mooney and this offensive line and Cole Komet and blah, 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 this is how we should run it so that it can be successful. You understand it on a core level. That's step two. Step three, there's essentially four steps apparently. I don't know. That's how I see it right now. Step three is innovation or or I, I should say adaptation, which is as the NFL changes, can you change? That's changed within your current understanding, but that's also kind of seeing the NFL evolve and say, okay, this, we're struggling here. I'm going to go watch the Rams. The Rams are doing this, and the 49ers are doing this, and the Packers are doing this. Maybe we can try this. In other words, we're still just copying, but we're we're learning from what's going on externally as opposed to my core understanding here, and some coaches can't do that. This is what I run. This is what I know how to do, and I can't go beyond that. Being able to adapt your own scheme, possibly grow it and, and, and morph it in certain ways based on what you see other people doing and, and understanding the trends of what's going on out there. We'll call that step three. Step four, though, is a thing that only, you know, very few people are able to do. And that is, again, innovation, which is, is creating something that's never been done before. And a lot of that stuff, you know, it comes from the college ranks and all that kind of stuff and you bring it in and it probably is very rare to see. But that, that's a whole other thing. Those are the people that should be revered and admired. The people who are genuine, you know, there are just these blips in time where something just appeared into the universe that had never been before. And it, again, it is so stupid and so shallow when we look back on people from, you know, 500 BC and say they were so stupid. They were not stupid. There was a, there, there was whatever available information there was, and then you interacted with whatever available. I mean, are, are you stupid? Because in, in a thousand years, assuming there's still you know, whatever, they're going to look back at your understanding and say you're an idiot. Some of our most brilliant scientists are going to look back and say that all of these people were idiots because they didn't understand things that we've learned over the next thousand years. That's, that's absurd. That's not what brilliance means. It's such a shallow understanding of, of what is intelligent, what is brilliant. To conceptualize gravity when nobody had ever conceptualized it before. You think about what these people had you know with with electricity I, I I still don't fully understand what the heck we're dealing with with electricity and I took all kinds of electronics classes and everything else it's still it's still somewhat conceptual, you know like i I mean I understand it, you know voltage current, you know your potential energy and your flow and all you know i i I, I know the words and I kind of get what's happening. but what the heck are we talking about here? How do you harness this stuff that's just floating around out there? be able to generate it and it's just it's it's weird to me but to not to to have never heard of electricity have never seen electricity you know aside from like a lightning flash and to just have this understanding that there's this thing out there and we can generate it and we can harness it and and then to think we we can use it to do things like you know have lights and and you know to to, to conceptualize further that this is energy and if we're able to harness energy here is how we can use it The fact that you've just lived in a society that has always understood electricity and energy doesn't make you brilliant. What's brilliant is understanding it, having never been taught about it, thought about it, nothing. So again, to go back and listen to Dominique Foxworthy say that Sean McVay is a better coach than Vince Lombardi because Lombardi didn't have the innovations that Sean McVay has is stupid. The question is, what did you do with what you had? Sean McVay is running somebody else's offense, and and again, he's he's innovated. He's done. I don't mean to take away from Sean McVeigh, but this is just such a unbelievably lazy and stupid take, and it's based on the arrogance of of the belief that I gotta look, I gotta figure out what it is. It's not exactly what I was looking for, but appeal to novelty: a proposal claimed to be superior or better solely because it is new or modern. I mean, it's it, it's it's a logical fallacy, but the the fact of the matter is, it's just it's just stupid and it's arrogant. You know, the, the idea that. I'm somehow a superior human being to somebody from 1592 because I have these understand... You didn't earn any of it, though. You've been handed it. And and begrudgingly, you sat in a a classroom rolling your eyes while somebody (laughs) force-fed you information that you didn't want and then somehow feel like you're superior... And all this information that you're being force-fed, that you're rolling your eyes, are based on people who have dedicated their life to understanding things that have never existed before. The reason we have the NFL that we have today is because of people like Vince Lombardi. We don't have a Sean McVeigh if we don't have a Vince Lombardi. You know, Elon Musk had kind of talked about this a little bit. The idea that we just assume things always grow and always get better, and that's not true. and, and, And space exploration is a perfect example of that. You know, what was it, 69 we landed on the moon? And then he talked about how our, our technology got worse every year. It just kept getting worse. We, we, weren't a, we were able to do less and less and less. Technology and understanding and intelligence and, and morality and all these things, things can and will degrade over time unless we have people that are constantly striving to make it better. Every step of the way, the reason the NFL gets better is because every year there are people who are working as hard as they possibly can to find that next thing. They, every time we talk about the NFL and evolution and all that stuff, if we don't have that evolution, we go backwards. If we're not going forwards, we're going to go backwards. But you need the innovators. That's And that's true from, from the equipment they wear to the training that they do, the diets that they're on. The 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 plays that they run, the offense, the defense, the special teams, the, the constant innovation and growth and the striving from people, brilliant people who try to find new ways to get better and stronger and faster. But there always should be a place of respect for the for the original innovators. And and it's it is the height of arrogance to look back at at a you know the the power sweep and scoff and say that's so simplistic, that's so stupid. As though you're on a higher plane. You're not. I promise you. You are significantly lower in your understanding than Vince Lombardi ever was. You always have to go from that point in time. If you were teleported back then, where would you be compared to Vince Lombardi? That's the only way to view these things. And it's the same thing when you compare players across eras. You know, Don Hudson wasn't that good. If he played in today's NFL, he'd be dead. How do you know? If you teleported, you know, Devonte Adams back then, you know he'd be better. How do you know that? Devontae Adams wouldn't have his current understanding of the NFL. He wouldn't have had the same amount of training and, and all the things that he has. You have him growing up the same way that Don Hudson grew up, basically no training. Have Devontae Adams, you know, work in a full-time job, crush a six-pack of beer and smoke a couple cigarettes and then go out on the field and see how he does, hung over from the night before. It's completely unfair to, to pretend as though we know that the guys today are better than the guys back then. Without a without adjusting for all the different situation to just say if we just teleport them as they are and plop them on a field they wouldn't be as good of course they wouldn't but that isn't that's that's so stupid let Don Hudson be trained in football since he was a small child playing flag football and peewee football high school football middle school football college football getting trained in all the uh, you know the, the the ways in which they learn and and you know, working out with modern understandings of of physiology and weightlifting and cardio and diet abstaining from cigarettes and alcohol and well maybe not alcohol college football players i'm sure but put them through the same thing that guys today go through how how good what would don hudson we don't know so it's it's just so absurd. I, I just i get so upset with the level of arrogance people have who've never accomplished anything who don't really understand anything who somehow want to feel that they're better than other people because they didn't understand things yet so, so arrogant and stupid. Anyways, I think I made my point. Why don't we go ahead and take a break right here? Um, I want to come back and, and revisit that um, Sharp article that I, I said I wanted to do a couple days ago. I thought I would finish it then, um, and we got through one small piece of it. But I want to continue on with that, look at a couple other things that he addresses in there. And I suppose we'll call it a day. If you want to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you'd like to advertise or make an announcement or anything on the show, please reach out. Podcast advertising is um, expensive because it is the most effective, but we're not going to uh, not going to charge you an arm and a leg because you're a listener of the show and we love you. If you'd like to call into the show and leave a message, 608-501-0718, please do so. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out the Packernet Substack, we've got a couple other articles ready to go, at least in terms of they're in production at the moment. I don't know when they'll be posted, but we're working on them. Otherwise, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. So the second article that he worked on, um, I find it kind of interesting just as, as a reminder. you know, It's one of those things, I don't know that the data is all that interesting or pertinent or any of that, but it's one of those things that I just kind of completely forgot about. So it's a nice little reminder that it's a thing and, and how it impacted the league and how it might impact the league going forward. But um, the article was written by Rich Freebar. It says, how 2021 followed up the highest scoring season in league history. And just to kind of give you some understanding of what the heck we're talking about, um, 2020, largely, we believe due to COVID, was the highest scoring season in NFL history. And so the the question is, how did 2021, how did it look compared to that psychotic season? So he starts it off with, there's a bunch of charts in here looking at statistics, but League-wide trends from 2016 to 2021. If you look at combined points per game, 2016 through 2019, 45.6, 43.4, 46.7, 45.6. And then in 2020, it spiked to 49.6. So the highest previously was 46.7. It jumped all the way up to nearly 50 at 49.6. And then in 2021, there was regression. And he says in the article that you expect when you have, anytime you have a highest ever, and this is what I've been talking about with players, also, anytime somebody's at their highest ever, you always expect them to come down a little bit. And it did come down. It went down to 46. but and, and what you'll find is a trend throughout this is it does come down almost across every single metric, but it's also still one of, if not the highest, aside from 2020. So 46 is the um, highest aside from 2020 and 2018 46.7, but still, compared to the average of 2016 through 2019, 2021 was pretty high. Offensive touchdowns, 1200, uh, 1,229, 1,121, 1,286, 1,244, and then it spiked all the way up to 1,403. So we're sitting at 12, 11 1,200. It shoots all the way up to 1,403. This is offensive touchdowns for the, the the season. There was, again, regression, but it went down to 1,345. Again, the highest previously was 1,286. So 1,345 is still a massive spike. There were way more touchdowns in 2021 than we had been accustomed to prior to 2020. So there's almost sort of a prior to COVID sort of uh, standard or whatever what what you generally see, and then there's sort of the post COVID. So it's there was the 2020 spike, then there was sort of the 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 come down, but it's it's not all the way back down. Now I don't know, and this is kind of what's being explored here: Are we going to continue to trend down as COVID continues to trend as as less of a uh, of an impact on the NFL? Or are we just kind of on the other side of this where we're going to stay higher? Because there, there is still the element of the NFL offense is just kind of trending in a certain direction anyways. Uh, th- there's a bunch of others. I'm not going to go through every single one of these, but it all kind of, can, you know, rushing touchdowns, 443, 380, 439, 447. Again, you, you kind of see 2017 is the low part. 2018 generally is the highest, although not in this category, but it's it's about four something, right? 400-ish, 443, 439, 447. 2020 was 532. It does go down, but it's still at 505. So again, still way higher than. Same with passing touchdowns. Exact same thing. You're at about 700-ish. 2018 did have a bit of a spike. Um, but aside from that, there was a 871 in 2020. Back down, but still high at 840 in 2021. You got yards gained per touchdown, scoring drive percentage, touchdown drive percentage, red zone drive percentage. All these things that kind of paint a similar picture. It's lower than 2020 but higher than the average between 2016 and 2019. He goes on to say, Despite the NFL adding a 17th regular season game for uh, everyone this past season, 58 fewer offensive touchdowns were scored last year than in 2020. Anytime we have a record-setting spike in a season, uh, as we had across the board in 2020, we almost always expect regression. That happened in 2021 as every primary uh, as every primary category here dropped from the previous year. Even with those dips from 2020, 2021 still showcased how the NFL continues to trend towards increased efficiency in scoring, only falling more in line with previous seasons compared to 2020. Instead of just shrugging things off solely as regression, I did want to circle back to some of the elements from that article and I, uh, that I believe are unique to 2020 and see how things compared. He goes on to say that 2021 still had a significant impact in COVID. He says, in December alone, there were over 500 positive cases that impacted the close of the season. Of the bottom 11 teams in game absences due to COVID, zero made the postseason. Of the top 11 teams with the fewest absences due to COVID, eight ended up in the playoffs. While COVID still placed a large fingerprint on the 2021 season, one of the elements that uh, players and coaches brought up regularly as a major difference in 2020 was the reduced attendance and the impact of the lack of crowd participation impacting home field advantage. And now now then it goes on with the next chart looking at home field advantage. Uh, road team performance from 2016 through 2020. Basically, you've got 40% win percentages, 41, 43, 39, 48. In 2020, it was at 50%. And then again, it still goes back down. It's at 48.2, but that's still the highest uh, compared to any year 2016 through 2019. So again, the, the one of the major components of this whole COVID thing is that there's no crowd participation. Therefore, there's no real home field advantage. And we saw that in 2020 where it was exactly 50-50. In other words, it made zero difference, home or away. 2021, presumably COVID still impact. I don't know that to, that to be true. As far as I know, stadiums are pretty well packed. But the point is, it, we're still very close to home field advantage being almost negligible. I mean, 48.2% is, is I mean... We're, we're right in line with 50%. They also looked at points per game, points allowed per game, similar statistics there. Goes on to say, Hopefield advantage has been something that has been waning across the league for multiple seasons. Road teams were solid again a year ago, looking comparable to the 2019 season from the top-down perspective. A year after the NFL road team posted their first ever 500 record and set records in points per game, home teams rebounded to have an edge. Then looks at uh, road team passing differences, uh, offensive penalties per game. He says, while the return of the home attendance had more of a minor impact, one area in 2020 that completely stood out in research from a, uh, from a year was the reduction of offensive penalties, in particular, the offensive holding. Offensive holding was called just 1.8 times per game in 2020 per pro, pro football reference, the lowest rate in the 2000s. Just 462 offensive holding calls were enforced after, who cares what the numbers are, but it's it's less. Uh, or a lot more. The number was 649 times in 2021, uh, with an extra week's worth of games tacked on. So again, when there's no crowd noise, it makes a major impact, right? Even (laughs) the massive difference looking at 2016, 17, 18, 19, and 2021 compared to 2020 is, is staggering. And this is an area where it's very clear that this is entirely due to there being nobody in the stands, and we'll probably never get back to that again. It goes on to look at how the penalties impact things, touchdown and punt rates, with and without an offensive penalty. So again, how that changes things. But again, we're kind of just back to normal right now in terms of stadiums being full, so the penalties are going to be kind of back to where they were. Again, I don't want to go through every single one of these things, but, you know, sacks were impacted because of the penalties that were impacted, et cetera, et cetera. But in conclusion, essentially what he says is there's still some remnants of... The COVID impact on the season, but I, I don't think the impact is going to be nearly the same. In other words, I, I think it's going to have more to do with missing players than it is to do with um, a lot of the data that was found here in 2020 because a lot of that had to do with the stadium and the stands being empty and how that impacted the game. He goes on to say that there's there's clearly a spike that we're not going to get back to unless the country shuts down again, which who knows, given up pretending that I know anything that's going to happen. But I think the, the the fact that the numbers were still high is more to do with the general trends of the NFL and that the the remnants that we're going to see has more to do with players being missing than anything else. But again, I, I liked it just because it was kind of a reminder because I forgot this was even a thing. I forgot about the whole, there were nobody in the stands in 2020. I forgot that it was the highest scoring year ever. It never even occurred to me to to check back in on that and see, well, are are we still... At those numbers, are we close to those numbers? The the one thing that I do wonder about, because you would almost think that it should return completely, right? I mean, the, the, everything we saw was because the stands were empty. Now the stands are full. Why wouldn't it go right back to, to exactly where it was? It seems like there's a remnant of something out there, and I don't think missing players necessarily has anything to do with that, unless they're primarily defensive players, and I have no reason to believe that. But it's almost as if maybe there was some kind of an innovation that took place in twenty twenty that has remained in the NFL. You know, the offenses really, really, really took a major step forward. Were they able to carry something that they did into twenty twenty one that's kept the scoring high? I don't know. But it's it seems weird to me that it, it didn't just completely return back to normal. Maybe it's a psychological thing. Offenses were so good and defenses were so bad it just kind of becomes a just kind of expect to to lose, I guess. I don't know. Expect to suck as a defense. Anyways, uh, one thing I, I want to cover in here, and, and we've we've already kind of talked about this, but it's it's again, it's a lot of SIS data, but it's being put in a way that really is very in your face. I mean, it, again, I'm a very visual person, and to be able to have this right here is pretty wild. And and what he has, the first two charts on this this little booklet that he came up with, and by little I mean 564 pages, is um, two charts stable quarterback metrics in 2021, less stable quarterback metrics in 2021. And he looks at EPA per attempt and rank, which is estimated points, or I always say estimated. It's not estimated. It's points added. I don't know. I want to run through some of these because I think both of them kind of surprise me. There's a bunch of different metrics, but basically it's when things are going well, where does your quarterback rank? And when things are not going quite as well, where does your quarterback rank? Again, already talked about the fact that Aaron Rodgers, when things are going well, does, does a good job. And when things are kind of breaking down, he kind of struggles, right? We know that already. It's a big part of the reason why we struggle in the playoffs, because things don't usually go well when your team is all banged up and the team across from you is the best in football, which is what happens when you go to the playoffs. You face the best of the best. Anyways, when there is no pressure, Aaron Rodgers is number one. I'm not going to necessarily give the metrics because it's a number that kind of doesn't mean anything. It's 0.39. I mean, it kind of does. I mean, it's it's points added in a given play. So at the conclusion of the play, Aaron Rodgers did something that the the computers will look at it and say, we're estimating. So let's just say we were looking at it and the computers are saying, at this point, we think the Packers are going to score three points based on down and distance where they're at. That would be sort of the over-under. Aaron Rodgers does something on a play in which there's no pressure and now the expected points is 3.39. Okay? All right. There's my explanation. Moving on. Standard drops. Play in which there is just a standard drop. Aaron Rodgers ranks number one. Throwing from inside the pocket. Aaron Rodgers ranks number one. No play action on early downs. In other words, we're not dealing with like a fourth down thing, whatever. There's no play action. It's just a normal passing play on first down, second down. Aaron Rodgers is number one. Layup throws. In other words, the guy's running down the field and he's wide open. Aaron Rodgers is number one. Feet planted, Aaron Rodgers is number one. Finally, first down in the first, second, or third quarter, Aaron Rodgers ranks fourth. These are all of the metrics. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Of the seven, Aaron Rodgers is number one in six of these seven. He is so far in first place, it is absurd. The guy that is in second place, Dak Prescott, doesn't rank number one in any category, which makes sense because there's only one available, and that would be first down, whatever. But even so, I mean, he ranks ninth when there's no pressure, third on standard drops, fifth in first down, uh, or yeah, first down in the first, second, third quarter, third in layup throws, 11th when his feet are planted. I mean, you would just expect he's second, third, fourth. There would be one category where he's ninth or 20th or whatever. Nothing. Number one in every single category except one, and he's top five in that category. So when things are going well, to say that Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in football is such a wild understatement. It's absurd. Pat Mahomes is third on this list. He ranks 17th first down in the first, second, third quarter. Joe Burrow is next on this list. He ranks 29th in layup throws. This this is the issue... With Aaron Rodgers in a nutshell, because he is the most wildly frustrating quarterback, because he is either the most amazing quarterback you've ever seen in your life, or he is just not very good at all, which brings us to our next chart, less stable quarterback metrics in 2021. The metrics are under pressure, outside the pocket, play action, being blitzed, third and fourth downs, fourth quarter, passing when moving. When under pressure, Aaron Rodgers ranks 29th, 29th. This is out of, I think, 40 is the lowest I can find, but 29th. That is horrific. 30th is Sam Darnold. 28th is Davis Mills. That's where he's sandwiched in between, Sam Darnold and Davis Mills when he's under pressure. This is, the point is, Aaron Rodgers and and all these quarterbacks aren't just a static thing. It depends on the play. It depends on the down and distance and all these different things. The point is, the quarterback you see when when our quarterback is under pressure isn't the Aaron Rodgers that we know and love. What you're seeing, quite literally, is Sam Darnold. When outside of the pocket, and we always think Aaron Rodgers is so good when he breaks the pocket because we've seen those highlight throws, right? He can throw off his back foot and launch it and it's the most beautiful thing ever, except that only happens like twice a year on a play to play basis he ranks 29th on play action plays he ranks 10th when being blitzed he ranks 8th on third and fourth downs he ranks 13th in the fourth quarter he ranks 6th passing when moving he ranks 13th inside of the top 10 in two categories he ranks 10th in one category he is nearly uh, you know 30th in two of these categories when things aren't perfect he's just kind of, at best, an average quarterback. Overall, he has him, and I don't know if these are necessarily overall, and it's hard to weight them or whatever, but he ranks, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12th. And, and the reality is, it's it's not like, well, these things are rare. They're not rare. How many plays are you either under pressure, being blitzed, play action, outside the pocket, third or fourth down? How four, I mean, fourth quarter is one quarter of the entire game. Granted, he's sixth, so it's not the worst thing in the world. But okay, so now we're looking at the first three quarters. Well, how often is it third or fourth down? Well, it's about 50% of the remaining game. Okay, so now we're looking at first, second, third quarter on first and second down. Remove the times when he's moving. Remove the times when he's being blitzed. Remove the play action. Remove the time he's outside of the pocket. Remove the times he's under pressure. There's very little time left. This is the majority of the game. And the reality is, uh, how good the... Green Bay Packers are, has very little to do with how good Aaron Rodgers is at his best. It really has everything to do with how good Aaron Rodgers can be in these situations. How do we improve this? And granted, you could just try to avoid it. You know, improve the offensive line so he's under pressure less often. All right, fair enough. That solves probably a lot of these. He's not going to be under pressure. He's not going to break the pocket as much. He's not going to have to pass while he's on the move as much. He's not going to be blitzed, obviously, as much. Maybe we'll see less third and fourth downs because we're converting more first downs early. So that's, that's great. I mean, that, that does fix most of the problem, but gee, it would be nice if we could just have a better version of Aaron Rodgers when things aren't great, because sometimes things are going to go wrong, and, and the odds that we're going to make it all the way through the postseason without having any issues, offensive line is just going to hold up you know, perfectly, and Rodgers is going to face you know, some pressure, but not much. It's just like a normal standard game, four or five times in a game, but otherwise, he's able to stand in the pocket and deliver. It's not going to happen. There has to be an element in which Aaron Rodgers does not rank 29th when he's under pressure. And again, I'm hopeful that he does improve under pressure with the removing of Devontae Adams. And the only reason I think that is because I, I can't help but think that the guy gets so stuck on this one thing that it's causing problems. But, anyways, um, and, and listen, it, it's not it's not that black and white either, right? This this is one very Obvious thing that we've observed and we've noticed and all that stuff. But you know, just just looking back at Aaron Rodgers and and his under pressure statistics and all that stuff, a couple things that stand out. First of all, there were weeks in which this was true more so than than others. If you look at week 12, for example, Aaron Rodgers had Win Clean, a 76 overall grade, under pressure, a 90 overall grade, right? That's obviously very rare, but Nothing is perfectly black and white. And, and the one thing that definitely needs to be addressed, because I've been talking about it over and over and over about how you need to be better in the postseason and all that, the, the fact of the matter is that had less to do, and granted, there was a lot of pressure in that game. And so when the there's a higher percentage of, of pressures, you're not going to be as good and all that stuff. But th- there's, there's also another issue here, and that is the fact that he didn't play well when he was not under pressure when kept clean. Granted, he was better than one under pressure, but he only had a 68 overall grade. That's pretty bad, and that's really low for Aaron Rodgers, which I think is part of the frustration that people have with Rodgers in that game. You know, you're supposed to be the ace. You're supposed to be the guy that we can count on when it matters the most. And the fact of the matter is, yes, you were under pressure more. Yes, you didn't perform super well when you were under pressure, and that is a problem. But there's also an element of when things were fine, 64% of the time you were kept clean, you had a 68 overall grade. We need to at least be able to count on you in those situations. 16 of 22, 167 yards, no touchdowns. So nothing is perfectly static, and, and, and it's, it's also true that even if we get him to perform better while under pressure, there's still the possibility that we get into the postseason, and he just kind of falls apart when things are going well, which is essentially what happened last year. Yes, he was, again, not good while under pressure, but there, there's a lot of potential issues that need to get fixed. But again, this is a pretty staggering difference when you look overall at how amazing Aaron Rodgers is compared to other quarterbacks when things are going right, compared to how subpar he can be. Well, I mean, just under pressure. He is the number one quarterback in football when there's no pressure. He is the number 29th ranked quarterback when there's pressure. That's crazy to me. And I wish, and I, I know if you go to Aaron Rodgers and you say, hey, here, here's a st- statistic. What do you think? He's probably going to rebuff it and, and get indignant and upset and, you know, statistics are stupid and it doesn't show this, that, or the, but I, I would love to just get an honest answer from him. You know, I'm not trying to attack you, dude. I'm not trying to like, whatever. I, you would know better than anybody. The answer to the question, I would just love to know the answer to the question. What, what is the issue? Is it that you don't have the receivers you used to have? You know, back in the day, you had guys with like Randall Cobb. Granity's still there, but Randall and Jordy that were so good on these scramble drills. When things go wrong, what do you do? And you just don't have that anymore. Is it Matt LaFleur is not, you know, emphasizing that part of the game, what to do when things go wrong. Everything's based on, you know, the assumption that things go right and we don't spend it. What is the problem? there's an issue. You know what it is. I would just love to know what it is. But anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, we got a lot more to get through in this thing. There's again, 564 pages. We're on page 19. So there is a massive amount of data here. I'm not going to go through everything, but uh, I do want to go through a lot of this. A lot of this is is team specific stuff, which obviously we're going to look at the Green Bay Packers. Um, but anyways, you guys have yourselves a wonderful day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.